All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you for these women, this opportunity, the freedom that we have in Christ, Lord. Uh, It's it's so much. It's so awesome. Uh, I just pray tonight that um, you will come into this room, that your Holy Spirit will work in our hearts, Lord, that you would be with my words, that you would be with our thoughts, Father, our comments, God, that it would all would be glorifying to you. And as we talk about your holiness, I just pray in some small way that we can do it justice tonight. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so one thing that I really love about chapter 19 is that we have the very first gathering, and I mentioned this in your homework, but we have the very first gathering or congregating of God's people for the hearing of God's word. That's the church. But here we have the first time it ever happened. The very first gathering of God's people for the purpose of hearing God's word. Only in this instance, the people not only heard God's word, but they heard God's word with God's voice. They actually got to hear God's voice. They heard the Ten Commandments, which we'll get to next week, um, or referred to as the Israelites referred to it as the Ten Words. That's actually what they heard. But that's a little teaser for next week. But I just think that is so cool. They got to hear God's word spoken. Um, I mean, those who got to meet Jesus also got to hear the word of God spoken directly by God's voice. I can't wait for that one day. Uh, It's going to be amazing. But last week, we did the first six verses of chapter 19, in which God tells Moses to tell the people of his intentions to make them into a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, and his treasured possession. So we talked through those things. If you missed it, it is recorded, so you can go back and listen to it. So then in verse 7, Moses goes back to relay the message to the people and tell them everything that God said he's going to do. And then in verse 8, the people respond with, yeah, that sounds great. Sure, we'll obey. Okay. Like, they're all in. So they respond with that. So then Moses goes back to God to give God, the people's response, there is no doubt in this chapter, if you follow all the back and forth, that Moses is getting his steps in. I don't know how far he is walking, no, how long it has taken him to get up and down, or how steep it is, but if he had a Fitbit, I don't know, I mean, he's off the charts, that's all I'm saying. And God knows anyway what their answer was. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, I know. It's kind of funny. Like, well, what'd they say, Moses? You know? <laughs> like, I, I'm surprised Moses is like, you already know. Like, <laughs> I know you're God. But he repeats it to him anyway. And so we'll get into that. But we see Moses acting definitely as a mediator through this entire event. So let's go ahead and read. We're going to start in verse 19 and just read a little bit of this. Now, as I read through it, I want you to be thinking about the three main players that we have in today's text, okay? We have the Lord, and if you want to put this on your paper, I actually, in my notes, I'll show you my notes. I love lots of different colors. It helps me. But I actually made a little chart so that I have three different players. I have the Lord, and I have Israel, and then I have Moses. And I just listed everything that I kind of saw going on with each one. So, like my first one under the Lord, I put, he is a bit terrifying. So, you know, anything that's going to come to mind from these three players, we're going to talk about this together. We'll go back through together as after we read through it. So just kind of be thinking about things. Just anything you're thinking, oh, wow, that's about the Lord, about Israel, or about Moses. So verse 9 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, 
I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet blew, grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. So we're going to stop there for now. So, all right. Any observations, anything at all that you see about those three? We can start with the Lord. It, just, it can be obvious or not obvious. You kind of think through this text. So the first thing I put on mine is that he's a bit terrifying. Slightly. Slightly. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. What else? Which is anything at all. What do you notice about the Lord in this text? He comes with authority. He comes with authority yeah. for sure. He comes with a trumpet, right? Mm-hmm. A long trumpet. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's like announcing a king when you have this big trumpet blast. Comes in clouds or smoke. Smoke, clouds, yeah. Why do you think that would be? Any thoughts? Yeah, I might have. <laughs> I can't remember. I would think maybe it's like. I think disguise. Disguise, yes. So he doesn't want to be seen. And could his glory just shine so brightly? Maybe. Yes. We couldn't be able to take it in. Just think about that for a minute. Like, we serve a God that has to put a cloud around himself because we wouldn't be able to handle it in our human state. It's amazing. What else? What else? I think he's he's pretty detailed in a few of the things he says absolutely he's very specific things yes what's the one specific thing that he's like make sure you tell the israelites this to stay away stay away yes and be clean yes be clean so they okay so they needed to be consecrated in order to come so that's something you could put for israel that they needed consecration in order to come into god's presence what's consecration 
I asked that question. Is, did anybody answer it? Yeah. Okay, what did you put down for your definition? I don't remember what page it was on. Nine. On page nine? What does, that's a great question. What does consecrate mean? To make or declare sacred. To make or declare sacred. Yes. So if I'm going to consecrate you, there could be different actions that I would do, but then when we're done doing them, I'd say, okay, now you are dedicated to God's service kind of thing. So the, we can just jump over there. Who's the one doing the consecrating in this case? Moses. So that would be in your Moses column. Moses is the one doing the consecrating. Now probably what he's doing is offering sacrifices. It doesn't tell us what he's doing, but we know from Hebrews 9.22 that there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. So my guess is that he is offering sacrifices on behalf of the people to um, consecrate them for the Lord. Does that make sense? Okay. That's my guess is what he's doing. But it doesn't tell us. But we can just go and we can look at other scriptures and see how, you know, later on when the priests are consecrated for service, they have to be washed. Well, here we see the Israelites washing themselves. They have to be clothed in certain clothing. They have to eat certain things. They have to sleep in front of the tabernacle for like seven days. And they have to do all these sacrifices every single day in order to, you're, you're, you're trying to atone for your sin. You're trying to make payment for your sinfulness and then um, make yourself sacred, I guess, holy for the Lord's coming. Are we doing a good job explaining that? We, okay. All right, any other thoughts on consecration? So in my footnotes, the Hebrew word for consecrate says literally set apart as holy. Set apart as holy, which is, makes perfect sense because if you think about what God said he was going to do for them, he's going to make them into a holy nation and a kingdom of priests. And now the first action we see is all of them, the entire nation being consecrated and set apart as holy so that hopefully they can accomplish this purpose. So that kind of makes sense. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. Okay. So you were talking about yeah. Like, Go ahead. The priesthood and how they were kind of, but it says, and my footnote is a pattern of worship. So they are preparing, the Lord was preparing Israel for a pattern of worship too. Love it. Yes. Where he's setting them up for the tabernacle too. I love that. Yes. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Okay. Uh, okay. Let's go back to the Lord. That'll help us. What, what else do we see? What's happening to the mountain at this point? It is shaking. Yeah. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, was there like avalanches going on? You know, I mean, it in Hebrews, it actually says that Moses is terrified and Moses goes and talks to God all the time. So something was different this time. Like God's presence was somehow <coughs> descending on this mountain and it was terrifying to be in his presence. I mean, have you guys ever prayed, like, Lord, just show up and tell me what to do? Like, we would die. <laughs> we would die. <laughs> they are trembling at God's presence. The mountain is shaking. And then there's, there's, what else do we have going on? Sounds like a storm. Lightning and thunder is occurring. So if you looked up other verses, did you notice thunder and lightning anywhere else? Where else did you read that? Revelation? Revelation 
Yep, and there's a picture of his throne in Revelation 4, and specifically in verse 5, Revelation 4, 5, it talks about that thunder and lightning uh, at his throne. I mean, that's, that's amazing. I think about that sometimes when a good thunderstorm comes through, and you see lightning. I love lightning. I love thunder. I get so excited. My kids are scared, but I get so excited. But that's a good one! <laughs> it's so awesome! I was thinking of the song. Yes, I sang that one. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. That's perfect. Uh, um, now, we already mentioned smoke. Where else did you see smoke? Did you look that up? Remember where else there's a vision of God's throne? What's that? Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6. Yes, so when uh, Isaiah saw the vision of God on the throne, there was smoke. So you're getting this idea that this mountain is becoming God's throne because we've got the thunder and the lightning and the smoke and the trembling. There's also trembling in Isaiah 6. Because the foundations of the doorway shook too in Isaiah. Only God's holiness can make inanimate objects shake. Yes. You know? Like his mere presence makes just inanimate things tremble. So it's not just humanity that was trembling in his presence it was everything just like think about that for a second we serve an incredibly awesome god an incredibly holy god did he come with angels so in where did the trumpets come yeah so in galatians because i did a lot of reading about the law this week and in galatians it references angels for this incident Mm -hmm. but it wasn't like it was like a scary thing like You know, like the angels were there to guard, I think, the Lord and announce his presence. It wasn't like, well, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to the the ones that like had the trumpets. Yes, that's what I'm wondering if they if they were the ones. It makes sense that maybe you had the angelic beings announcing his arrival with the trumpets. But it does mention angels in Galatians if you read through it. In verse 18, it talks about him coming down in fire. So is the mountain literally on fire? I think so. Okay. Yeah. I think it says that in Galatians too. Something about it going up, like, I mean, to the heavens. Like, it was really on fire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're doing, you guys are doing great. Okay, so I have most of the things on my list here for the Lord that we've already talked about. Anything else that you're thinking about the Lord right now in this scene? He's present. He's present? Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's there. That's what I was thinking. Like, with the fire, and then when they're coming out, coming to the Red Sea, the color of fire, like, thinking about, oh, he was there. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and if they had doubt in their mind, now he's coming back in that same form. Yeah. You know? Well, and that's interesting, too, because that's kind of thing about that. They've had, that's, that's called the Shekinah glory, and they've had that with them. They've had the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day, yeah. pillar of cloud by day, that they have followed now for months. And yet, this time felt different because they weren't scared of that pillar of fire. That probably felt protective somehow, um, but this didn't feel that way. And so this felt, I think, more like, I mean, God's presence and holiness was more of it, maybe, was descending down on this mountain. And being in that was terrifying, having that much of God's holiness descend on that mountain. I'm guessing. 
also read recently that they're doing archaeology studies on Mount Sinai, and the, the top of it is black. Oh, interesting. And they find evidence of fire. fire. So they, I mean, they link that all back to the scripture that, the, I mean, like it was so hot and so mm -hmm. intense that it left. Wow. That is cool. That is really cool. You think about that. And they're doing a lot of study around there, but there's a lot of evidence of this scripture mm. playing out as far as neat um, like different things as we go on yeah but like um like mass grave for the people perished and mm. they've dug up like mass graves so cool when archaeology proves the bible but it's all real <laughs> I, I, that is cool that is yeah i mean and i'm definitely at the camp that this happened like this literally happened some people would want to say, well, it was just, you know, I don't know. You know, they'll kind of like talk it down in some way or there'll be different commentators, I mean, not the ones I read, but different commentators that are going to say, well, it's just more of a vision, you know, kind of thing. But no, I think the Lord came down in a consuming fire and consumed the top of Mount Sinai yeah. in a very awesome way. <clears throat> Now, the Israelites, they have agreed to obey. That's the first thing that I wrote down about the Israelites. We also talked, we've already talked about how they needed consecrating. So, we've talked about that, what that was. And we've talked about how they were not welcome on the mountain. They could not even touch it. Did you catch that? If they touched it, you couldn't touch that person. I think that's what it's saying. Uh, take care not to go up on the mountain. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him. So if a person touched the mountain, you could not touch that person, but that's why you had to either stone them or shoot them because you couldn't touch them. I have bow and arrow. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Pull out your rifle. <laughs> The angels, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Bow and arrows. Yeah, but I found it really interesting that like all of a sudden that person then couldn't be touched and you just had to shoot them right away. I know. This is, this is because of the holiness of God. This is why these boundaries were so necessary. So God's holiness could kill them. That's one thing I wrote down for the Israelites. It could, and, he, and he's very graciously warning them. And he warns them over and over again. If you notice, we didn't actually read this part, but at the end of chapter 19, the Lord's like, Moses, go tell them again. And Moses is like, I already did. Like verse 23, he's like, the people cannot come up the mountain for you yourself warned us. Like we already set the limits and God's like, no, go tell them again. And tell the priests, make sure they know they can't even touch the mountain. So he's being very gracious and warning them over and over again. Do not touch this. It will kill you because I my holiness will kill you. I'm too holy. And that's like the Ark of the Covenant when the guy who touched it when it was falling off. Yeah. Thought he was doing the Lord a favor. Yeah. By, ah, the Ark is falling. But instantly struck dead because of God's holiness. Absolutely. It's a great, great reminder. Okay, so um, the Israelites needed boundaries. Uh, what, so we've talked about how they trembled, right? 
When they saw the fire and the smoke and they heard God's voice, what did they say to what did they say to Moses? Yeah. Yeah. They're like, uh, we don't want any more. <laughs> you talk to him on our behalf, but we don't want to face him anymore. And the Lord is actually okay with that because they get it. They're having um, the correct kind of fear that they needed to have of the Lord in order to have obedience. So he's like, they are right to feel that way. That is good. You can be the mediator. So, but they, they didn't want to have any more of it um, after being in that close of proximity to the Lord. Uh, okay, and then I think we've covered Moses. Moses. Moses was welcome in God's presence. Isn't that interesting that he would be welcome up on the mountain, but nobody else? I mean, he does allow Aaron to come up at some point. And then later on, when we get to Exodus 24, we're going to see that the Lord invites after the, after the sprinkling of blood. We'll see that there's a reason why. There's consecration again. But the Lord invites a bunch of them up. Seventy elders, Nadab and Abihu are Aaron's sons. And Aaron and Moses, they all get to go up. And they get to have an even more spectacular vision, I believe, of, of Christ. Um, but we'll talk about that later. Just another preview of coming attractions. Uh, but... The, this time, though, with God's terrifying holy presence, Moses is welcome. And he goes up and down and up and down and up and down. He consecrates them. So Moses speaks on behalf of the people, and he also speaks to the people on behalf of God. That is what a prophet does. I think on the, if you do, did your homework on the last day, you looked at how Moses as the mediator portrays Christ. It's pretty cool. If you didn't have time, if you want to go back through that this week and do that and look at that chart, it's pretty neat to see all the similarities that you get between Moses and Jesus um, as, our, as well, Christ is our mediator. Anything else? What are we missing? What's, what's, what's standing out to you that we haven't? Is there anything we haven't discussed? We doing good? All right, let's draw some conclusions then. What kind of conclusions can you draw? Probably stuff that we've already said, but draw a couple conclusions from all of these things that we've talked about. You're not going to be wrong. Is there, I have a question. Is sure. there any uh, correlation with um, Jesus rising on the third day and in the third, he said, what did he say? That I'm going to come on the third day. Yeah. There could be. I didn't read anything okay. that there was any correlation, but I thought the same thing. I was like, oh, the third day. Yeah. So we know later on something really big happened on a third day. So it's very possible. You know, well, yeah, it's very possible. Because it said all the people watched. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but on the third day after Christ rose from the dead, I mean, people saw him. They saw the true glory of God in that form through Jesus. That's pretty cool. And we have a command to be ready. So That's true. Mm-hmm. For another trumpet mm-hmm. coming on the clouds. Yes. Yes, I didn't share this last week, but um, I'll share it. I'll share anything with you guys. What? Shay was singing anytime. Oh, <laughs> you can sing anytime you want, Shay. 
Uh, but Craig and I, when we first were married, we, I don't know, we felt burdened to just decide what our stance on alcohol is going to be. Um, I don't think it's wrong to have a drink of alcohol, okay? But as a married couple, he especially just wants to take the lead and decide. Sometimes my parents would have a drink. His parents never did. And so it was like just one of those discussions that we were having. And I didn't know where I wanted to land on this necessarily. I was like, well, it's not wrong to have a drink. And so I went back and forth. But it was the passage that we talked about last week and also just wanting to be ready at any moment's notice for Jesus to return. But the passage we talked about last week, how we are a holy people and that we are God's um, royal priesthood. Well, the priests, when they were on duty, were not allowed to drink. And when I read that in the Old Testament, and I kind of put those two things together, and I thought, I am the priesthood, and I am to be on duty at all times. Maybe there's times where you're not on duty. This is just our personal conviction. When I read through that, we just decided, you know what? We are not going to drink because we want to be ready at all times. So that's what that made me think of. That doesn't mean that has to be your conviction. <laughs> I'm just sharing something that just popped in my head. So anyway, there's that. Next. <laughs> We're drawing conclusions. What kind of conclusions can you guys draw from this? I'll give you my first one. God cannot be touched. That's my first conclusion. He cannot be touched. Not in this state. He cannot be touched. Any other conclusions you can draw here? We need a mediator. Yes. We need a mediator. Yes. I also said that being in God's presence uh, for the Israelites was scary. That's one conclusion that I came to. And then another conclusion I said is that God does desire to speak to his people, which is pretty cool. He's that holy, and yet he does desire to speak with us, to have a relationship with us. So that's another conclusion. This is all kind of stuff we've already talked about, but I think it's good when you, you think through all those details and then kind of bring it back down and think, all right, what can, can I conclude from this? So we've already said it, but the one main thing God continually reiterates to Moses in this chapter is, do not let the people come near me. And you already wrote it down, but your first principle for the night is that God is dangerously holy. So you can star it, circle it, put a P next to it, for <laughs> whatever you want to do. But God is dangerously holy, and he still is. He has not changed. We know the scripture verse that says that God has not changed. He is still dangerously holy. Hebrews 12, 29 tells us he's still a consuming fire. This is still the God that we serve, and yet I don't think we think about him like that very often. You know, we always, we love to think about God as love, and God is mercy, and God is grace, and he is. He is all those things, but he's also still dangerously holy and still a consuming fire. He never changed, but something has changed. So what has changed? Any guesses? Jesus. <laughs> yes, Jesus changed everything. Sunday school answer, you'll never be wrong. Just always go with that one. <laughs> Hebrews 4.16 tells us that in Christ, we are welcome at the throne of grace. And we can approach God's throne with confidence and with boldness. That is a huge change from what we're seeing in Exodus 19. So, 
We have a different mediator. That's one thing that's changed. Another thing that's changed is the covenant that we're under. This is what we're seeing in, in these first few chapters of Exodus is the Mosaic covenant being established. We're walking through that. So these people are seeing God, and then they're getting the Ten Commandments directly from God, and then they're going to get the rest of the laws through Moses, and they're going to agree to them. They're going to agree to obey God and follow them. That's the Mosaic Covenant. So they're entering into a covenant of obedience to the law um, in, in the chapters that we're talking about right now. We're not under that covenant anymore. Jesus tells us, I came to bring you a new covenant, the covenant of my blood, the covenant of grace in which you are not under the law. That's changed. That's different for us. Okay, Hold on to those thoughts. So what we have here in this chapter is a visible picture of our spiritual situation apart from Christ. That's what you get here. Apart from Jesus, it is fear, it is trembling, it is, it is please get away from me, Lord. You are way too scary and holy. That's the visual picture that this, this chapter is developing for us. God is way too holy for us to get to him on our own. There was no way. The people washed their clothes. They abstained from any sexual relations for a few days. <laughs> and Moses consecrated them. And none of that was good enough for them to touch the mountain. They still couldn't touch the mountain. They could not go anywhere near God. So there's two sides to this coin. And I think it's important for us to see both. So first of all, God is not to be taken lightly. That's the first thing I think that we really need to take home tonight. God is not to be taken lightly. He hasn't changed. But after 2,000 years of being welcome in God's presence due to the wonderful blood of Jesus and him paying the penalty for our shortcomings, I just can't help but wonder if we've gotten a little too familiar with this idea of barging into God's presence anytime we want to with confidence and with boldness. And maybe we've forgotten a little bit of what a privilege that is. You know, and what Jesus has done for us. One commentary that I read put it this way. If we are to feel the wonder of God's grace to us in Christ, then we must first feel the terror of his holiness. If we're to feel the wonder of God's grace in Christ, we first need to feel the terror of his holiness. So that can come, it kind of becomes real again a little bit. So that's where I want to go for the next few minutes is I want to talk about the terror of God's holiness. I've been rereading, I think it's by R.C. Sproul, The Holiness of God over the last couple of weeks, right before, but reading again in preparation for this. And it's a great book. If you guys want to read about the holiness of God, I highly recommend it. It's just called The Holiness of God. It's, it's lots of great thoughts. It's a deep one, though, so you can take it a little bit at a time. But the simplest way to define holiness, we said it last week, Amy said it for us, is, Amy knows, she's writing, <laughs> set apart. Oh, holiness okay. means set apart. That's the simplest way to define holiness, but it's not good enough. I don't, let's, just, let's not stop there. We're going to develop this. Another way to state it is that it's a cut above. So it's set apart, but you could say it's a cut above. But just to say that God is separate or that he's a cut above, I still don't feel like it's doing us any justice in understanding how holy God is. So holiness is also synonymous with transcendence. That's another big word, okay? To transcend 
is to rise above something or to go beyond the limit. You transcend over the top of it. You go beyond the limit that was set. So God's transcendence describes his supreme and absolute greatness. He goes beyond every limit, any limit, all limits. He goes beyond them. He is transcendent above everything. So if we put these two ideas together, holiness and transcendence, we could say that God is an infinite cut above everything. Like, it doesn't end. He's an infinite cut above everything. Does that blow your mind? An infinite cut above. So holiness is not just purity. I often think of holiness as purity. But it's like, it's like we can't even get there. We can't even think that far. We can't even imagine that far. He's an infinite cut above everything. So God is infinitely more pure than the purest form of anything that there is. Infinite. Forever and ever and ever and ever. Infinitely pure beyond that. He is infinitely and exceedingly separate and marvelous and supreme beyond any comprehension we even have. I don't even feel justice in trying to talk about it. I was praying about it today. Like trying to just worship him for a while because like I don't even feel that I can even do this justice, but good to try. <laughs> and so we can't just think of holiness as just one of God's attributes. And I've made that mistake. This was a good lesson for me. Uh, it, God is not just like, okay, he's mercy, he's gracious, he's holy. We can't think of it like that. Holiness can be applied to all of his attributes. So it's pretty cool. So his mercy is holy mercy. It's an infinite cut above all mercy. His holiness is, his mercy is holy mercy. So now you could think like his knowledge is holy knowledge. It's an infinite cut above all knowledge, infinite forever. Does that make sense? It's mind-blowing. I'm asking if it makes sense. It's like, no, we can't actually comprehend this. His justice is holy justice. It's just beyond anything, infinite cut above. So his love is a holy love. It's an infinite cut above anything else. It, okay, get this. His spirit is Holy Spirit. Mm. Have you ever thought about that? Why we call him the Holy Spirit? He is the Holy Spirit. His spirit is an infinite cut above everything, anything, anything we could ever comprehend. The Holy Spirit. I thought that one was pretty cool. Now, only God is holy. Only God. So, only God can make something holy. And he does. But God alone is holy, so he alone has that ability to make something holy. He is so holy, in fact, that anything that touches him becomes holy. He'll just make anything holy. Think about Mount Sinai. Why could they not touch the mountain? Because it became holy. He descended on it. He touched it. With his presence, it became holy. Don't touch that mountain. Think about when Moses was at the burning bush. What did God say to Moses? Take off your sandal, Moses, because you are standing on holy ground. So he touched that bush, touched that ground. God made that ground holy. Pretty cool, right? Now think about this. Believers, we are declared holy. If you are in Jesus, 
You have been declared holy. Why? Because Christ has touched your life. God has touched your life, made you holy. It's pretty cool. It's amazing, too. You stop and think about what Christ has done for us. It's his touch that makes us holy. God's touch on anything common is what makes the common suddenly uncommon. So how are we set apart? How are we declared holy? Because of the Holy Spirit, because of Christ's presence coming into your life, makes you holy. You didn't do it. It's not because of anything that you've done, and it's not because of anything you will do going forward or won't do. It is merely God's presence in your life that has made you holy. And he's declared you holy because of his indwelling. His holiness, then, is powerful. So much so that to come in contact with God in any way is usually a very terrifying experience for humans. (laughs) So if you think about this, the Israelites are trembling in God's holy presence. Why? I personally think it's because they don't have Jesus. They have Moses, who's a great mediator, but he's not the mediator that is necessary to make them holy. They're not holy. They're not holy in the state that they're in. And so they're in God's presence, an extremely terrifying experience to face God's presence apart from Christ, apart from him declaring you holy. So a lot of unbelievers, if they do not come to faith in Christ, are going to have a terrifying experience one day when they have to face God's holiness. And they will. They will. Now, Isaiah 6. I love that passage. When Isaiah sees that vision of God... Uh, on the throne, which we already mentioned, and the angels are proclaiming, holy, 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 and they're like covering themselves too. They're, they're not even sinful beings, but they're in God's presence, and so they're using their wings to cover themselves. What does Isaiah do when he comes into contact with, with God, sees God on the throne? And I love Mike, Pastor Mike set us up perfectly for this. Isaiah says, woe is me. For I am ruined. That word woe, Mike mentioned yesterday, he's, Isaiah is pronouncing doom on himself. He's like cursing himself. So prophets would pronounce woes on other nations that didn't serve God. Basically, Isaiah is pronouncing a curse upon himself. And what caused that? A vision of God's holiness caused Isaiah to curse himself. And pronounce doom upon himself. And he says, I am ruined. One look. Just one little eensy beatsy vision of God on the throne. And Isaiah says, woe is me. I am ruined. I am undone. I am unraveled. I am disintegrated. Those words all mean the same thing. Isaiah was a godly man too in his day. He would have been considered a man of integrity. And yet one small glimpse of the holy God shattered him completely and he curses himself Isaiah 6 be Isaiah 6 5 is where he says woe is me for I am ruined and then an angel goes and he gets a I believe he gets a coal probably from the altar and he goes and he touches Isaiah's lips and I think he declares him holy that's pretty cool so we don't have time to get into all that but such a neat passage Now, with this in mind, then, is it any wonder that the Israelites ask Moses to just talk to God on their behalf? Not at all. 
I'm like, yes, I would have been asking for that also. Notice then that one glimpse of God's holiness made it very clear to Isaiah how unclean he was. He says, whoa. He, he, he pronounces his curse upon himself and says, I am a man of unclean lips. Like, he just instantly knew it. And maybe that's why the Israel, another reason why the Israelites would rather just have Moses talk to God. Because when we come face to face, or however, even a little bit closer to God's holiness, usually we see, what we see is our sinfulness. You know, what, the more that we get to experience or see the transcendence of God, usually the more we see the depths of our own depravity. So, here's the problem, and this is your second principle. Fellowship with God requires holiness. Fellowship with God requires holiness. Fellowship with God requires holiness. Hebrews 12, 14, if you want to jot it down, says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You won't see the Lord without holiness. That's why Moses tried to consecrate the people, why the priests also would consecrate themselves before they would go in and serve the Lord. They would strive for it. Without holiness, though, no one can see the Lord. Think about Psalm 24, 3 and 4. It's probably familiar to you. Psalm 24, 3 and 4. It says, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? How cool is that? Think about that. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. It's talking about holiness. So, I've never thought of Psalm 24, 3 and 4 in reference to Mount Sinai. But who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Only someone who is holy could ascend the mountain of the Lord. So they washed their clothes. They tried, but it didn't work. They were not holy in and of themselves just by trying to wash or just by having Moses consecrate them. And yet today, we are welcome in God's presence. And we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. What wasn't possible, Christ has made possible. And that's why I want us to see like this huge gap that was there. And I think we often look at the gap in the sense of our sinfulness. But I want to see the gap from the sense of God's holiness. There is a huge gap between us and God. And Jesus bridged that gap. Basically, what he did is like... By faith in Jesus Christ, by grace through faith in him, our bl his blood atones for our sins. And he's like, hey, and he takes our hand. Boom, touches us. I, I'm just giving you a visual here, okay? And he's like, come with me. I want you to meet the Father. And now we can go meet him because holiness. He's touched us and declared us holy. His blood has atoned for our sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Well, God sent his son, atoned for our sins, and then by grace through faith in Christ, he indwells us. And it's as if he's like, hey, I really want, I want you to meet the Father. Come with me. And we're allowed to go. These Israelites weren't allowed to go. We're allowed to cross that boundary and march right up that mountain and go straight into the Father's presence because Christ has made us holy. 
Isn't that amazing? It's pretty cool. Okay. I want you to turn to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, 18. Hebrews 12, 18. You guys, to be in God's holy presence is truly the single greatest opportunity you will ever receive. You've already received it. The biggest opportunity you've ever received has already been given to you. To be in the holy presence of God, this God who is an infinite cut above everything, you have the opportunity daily, hourly, minute by minute to be in his presence. That's the greatest opportunity you'll, you will ever be given. Verse 18, listen to this, and we'll work through this a little bit together. It says, for you have not come to what may be touched, what have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire, he's talking about Mount Sinai, and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg no further messages be spoken to them for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Now, the beginning of verse 18, it said, for you have not come. Now the beginning of verse 22 says, but you, all right, you, in the CSB translation by other Bible, it says, instead, instead, you have come to Mount Zion. We've, we get to come to a different mountain. And to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. This is where we get to go. And to, here's angels for you, innumerable angels in festal, festal gathering. So now, instead of having angels that are like keeping us at bay, they're celebrating with us. This is where we get to go. We just celebrate with the angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn, um, meaning the, the church, we're talking about the church, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, you get to come to God, that's where we've come, to the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. So I'm thinking that's just the, the saints of old, you know, we get to come, we get to be with Moses one day, we get to be with Abraham and Isaac and all of them, and verse 24, you have come to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now there is a lot in there and I tried to understand a lot of it this week. I'm not doing a study on Hebrews. <laughs> so um, I don't understand a lot of that. But what I do understand is that what it's describing is something pretty cool. What it's describing is, is the kingdom of God and the new Jerusalem. Zion in the Old Testament was often synonymous for Jerusalem. And in Psalm 132, God says of Zion, for the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his home. This is my resting place forever, he says. I will make my home here because I have desired it. So Zion is, they know it as God's dwelling place. And so in Hebrews here, he's saying, you haven't come to Mount Sinai. You, believers, you get to go to Mount Zion. You get to go to God's dwelling. 
you get to be with the angels in festival gathering as they worship and as you worship. I mean, when we worship God together on a Sunday morning, maybe there's angels worshiping with us. We don't know. But, and technically, we've been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. That's what Ephesians tells us. We're with God spiritually right now. So it gives us a little bit more of a picture of like, this is where you get to go. Spiritually, this is where you're at, even though physically we're not there yet. But when we pray, when we worship, when we praise him, I think we're at Mount Zion. We're not at Mount Sinai. We're, we're, we're in the presence of the holy God. That's what it's trying to describe to us. You guys get what I'm saying? I feel like I'm not doing Hebrew justice, but I'm trying. So where, where Sinai was forbidding and terrifying, Zion is inviting and gracious. Okay, so the point behind that is in Christ, because of Christ, we have a whole different set of circumstances. That's the bottom line there. Our circumstances are completely different. Where Sinai was closed off because they weren't able to please God on Sinai's terms, on the law, uh, Zion is open because Jesus has met those terms. We approach Mount Zion on the basis of Christ, and he will stand in the place of anyone who wants to come to God through him. He'll take anyone to the Father who wants to go. So here's your last principle. It's pretty simple. In Christ, we are welcome in God's holy presence. You are welcome in God's holy presence. In Christ, we are welcome in God's holy presence. In Christ, we are welcome in God's holy presence. I love, if you turn back one page or one chapter, Hebrews 10, 19 says, Therefore, brothers, just listen to the language, since we have confidence to enter the holy places. Just didn't strike me until this week what that was saying. We have confidence to enter the holy places. Why can we go into the holy places? Because of Jesus. Yeah, school answer. Because he's declared us holy. Because he's, he takes us there. Because we get to go there based on his blood and sacrifice <clears throat> through faith in him. For by a single offering, Christ perfects us for all time. Through his one-time offering. Therefore, we have confidence to enter the holy places. <clears throat> but... Does our, and here's the question, day-to-day -day living indicate that we really care about that? I think that's what it comes down to. You know? We can talk about this and we're like, yes, this is amazing. But does our day-to-day -day living indicate that we love the fact that we get to enter God's holy presence? That we have that opportunity? That we can spend time with him? I want to end tonight, I'm going to try and do this with a little bit of an analogy, okay? Um, <clears throat> we'll see if this works. Some of it might fall apart, but we'll try. Let's say, you guys are going to laugh, but let's say that I am a humongous Disney fan, all right? Like, I am the biggest Disney fan that you will ever meet. And let's say that Disney, <laughs> Disney is this place that only elite people get to go. You can't just go online and buy a ticket. 
I mean, it's like, it is, you know, iron fence. Like, you cannot get into Disney. You gotta know someone. You gotta know somebody. That's right. You gotta know somebody who knows somebody. But I so badly want to go to Disney. And I love Disney. I'm just the biggest Disney fan. Well, there is this pass, and this is actually a real thing, called the Golden Pass. There is a pass for Disney called the Golden Pass. I listen to a podcast, and I know that Ariel, the voice of Ariel, has one. Whoever the, She can go to any of the nine parks anytime she wants um, for the rest of her life. She can take her family with her, and it's complete VIP access. So they have, she actually has this golden pass, and it gets her into a couple other special places in Disney that only people with golden passes get to go. I know, it's crazy. And she gets to skip all the lines. I know. So when I listened to that, I was like, wow. And I tried Googling to see if this golden pass was real. And I mean, I know it is because she said she has one on this podcast I was listening to, but like it's kind of a secretive thing online. Like it didn't really talk about it very much. So, okay. So let's say, but let's say that I'm a huge Disney fan and I hear about this golden pass and I just want one so badly. And I just wish I could get one, but I know there's no way that I could get this golden pass. It's so expensive. It just, it would never happen. So Craig in his unconditional love for me, decides he's gonna get me this pass. But it's gonna be extremely costly for him to get me this, this pass. So he thinks about it for a little while. And he counts the cost of what it's going to cost him, but he loves me so much that he wants to buy me this pass. Well, it's gonna cost him not only his life savings, but it's going to be incredibly painful to get me this pass. And it's going to leave him with scars <clears throat> and holes in his body for the rest of his life. But he decides he's going to get me this pass. I'm worth it. I love her so much. I'm going to get her this pass. <clears throat> so he goes through with it. Goes through the torture. Goes through all the pain. And he gets me the golden pass. And he brings it to me. And at first I'm really excited. I cannot believe that he just got me the pass. And I get to go to Disney anytime that I want to go to Disney. Nothing can stop me. I can go anytime I want. This is amazing. I thank him for it and I'm just so excited. And let's say we go a couple of times. But then, let's just say that, well, life gets a little bit busy, right? And I've got kids to raise and I've got dinner to make. And let's just say so, I love sleeping. So I've got sleeping to do. <laughs> I've got exercise to do. I have work to do. There's a lot of things, you know. So, but poor Craig, I mean, he's walking around with holes in his body from getting me this pass. So he tries to confront me on it. And like, why don't you ever go to Disney? I mean, I got you that pass. Do you not care anymore? And what if I said to him, well, I've just come up with a few other things that I want. There's just other things now that I've decided that I think I'd like better. Do you want to get me this? How about this? What about this? And he's standing there with holes in his body going, I got you the pass. Like I got you the greatest pass in existence and now you want something else? How terrible of a person am I for standing there and saying that to him? I'm pretty selfish. I'm pretty terrible, right? <clears throat> We'd all agree on that. And I think you guys know where I'm going with this. <laughs> Christ gave everything, and he has the scars to prove it, to give us the pass of a lifetime. 
the opportunity to sit and dwell and enjoy the holy presence of God anytime we want to. All the time, anytime. But how many excuses do we have? Or are we even excited about it anymore? You know, after a while, the excitement of things usually kind of wear off, and that's just humanity. That's why we do things like this, <laughs> to remind us of the privileges that we have. I'm not perfect at this. I throw excuses in the face of this all the time. So I'm right here with you guys if you're feeling any conviction at all, all right? But we're here to spur each other on, right? And to encourage each other to get back at it and to help each other understand that you have the greatest privilege that anyone has ever been given to be in the presence of God. And I just want to encourage us not to lose sight that we've been given this incredible privilege and how we've been given it. You've been handed the opportunity of a lifetime to be in the presence of an infinitely cut above God anytime you want because of Jesus. You don't have to go to Mount Sinai. We don't have to face Mount Sinai. As neat as I think it would be to actually see what it looked like to see that mountain on fire, I'm glad that I didn't have to see it. <laughs> they were all terrified. Why would I think that I wouldn't be terrified also? We don't have to go there. We get to go to Mount Zion. We get to join the angels in festal gathering. We get to celebrate. We get to be with Jesus and be in God's presence. That's amazing. Pretty cool stuff. Any thoughts? I can't stop thinking about the how when Christ Jesus was crucified, the curtain in the temple tore yes. from top to bottom, and how that was a representation, a visual of the fact that now we could come up to the to the throne of grace because yeah. that temple wasn't there anymore. So that cool. yeah. That's some I've goosebumps just yeah. thinking about the ripping of that veil mm -hmm. at Christ's death. And just, there was no there was, yes, it was immediate. And, was and the ground shook too. So That's the, true. Yes. That's true. There was an earthquake then. Yes. Me too. Yeah. So only God could tear, and it tore from the top. Yeah. Yeah. So may we never doubt that Christ, I mean, Christ's sacrifice was more than enough. God tore that curtain and said, come on in. Pretty cool. But any other thoughts? That's a good one. Amazing. I'm going to pray then. This was fun. I hope you guys enjoyed looking at God's holiness tonight. I know it's a serious topic, but it's also one that thought, hey, we have the opportunity to go here, and we're going to go here because... We like, to, we like to go above and beyond. <laughs> Take ourselves a little bit deeper. <laughs> this isn't that deep, but yeah. I wrote down that no wonder Elijah thought that God was going to be something that was really loud. Like, why would he expect God to be? In a still, small voice? Great point. Like, yeah. everything he knew was God as well. That's so true. Oh, I love that. That's why I love to hear from you guys. This is so fun. Great point. Very cool. All right, I'll pray. You're free to stay or free to go. Father God, you are holy, holy, holy. We 
are trying to understand it. We're trying to comprehend it, Lord. We're trying to talk about it, but you are so far beyond anything that we could ever even imagine. Your greatness goes beyond anything that we can even fathom, Lord. Uh, I, I, I praise you for your holy name. I praise you for um, your abundant holy goodness, your holy spirit, your holy love, your holy 